So our reading today is from Mark chapter 2, verses 23, to chapter 3, verse 6. Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and as his disciples walked along, they began to pick some heads of grain. The Pharisees said to him, Look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? He answered, Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? In the days of Abiathar the high priest, he entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. Then he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Another time Jesus went into the synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, Stand up in front of everyone. Then Jesus asked them, Which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they remained silent. He looked around them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts, said to the man, Stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was completely restored. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. So that's our reading for the day. And now I invite Sarah to come and uh, bring a message on the true meaning of Sabbath. Right. So as, um, as most of you should know, or most of us uh, know, we've been tracking through the book of Mark. And we've been asking three questions each week. What does this piece of scripture say about who Jesus is? What does he do? And what is his call to his people, both back then and us now? So as usual, we're going to keep these three questions in mind as we track through this passage. But another thing to note about this passage is that, especially in these first few chapters of Mark, Jesus is showing what his new kingdom is like. And this passage today shows us two very radical kingdom values. Radical for the time and quite uh, took everyone by surprise uh, because the ancient world didn't operate uh, this way and these were the values of grace and mercy now it's a really powerful and it's actually quite a confronting story uh, as we unpack it so let's just dive right in so today's reading as you would have heard and looks at two stories in the life of jesus both of whom or both which happen on the sabbath and mark has structured these uh, incidents side by side in order to convey a specific message The first incident, we read about Jesus and his disciples walking somewhere. Um, They're obviously hungry, and the disciples pick some wheat as they go. Personally, I don't think picking wheat and chewing on it would be very nice, but anyway, that's what they do. The Pharisees jump on them, almost as if they've just been lurking behind the grain stalks, waiting to pounce. And they point out that they're breaking the Sabbath law. And the law stated that on the day of Sabbath, no work was to be done. Therefore, no reaping, no threshing no winnowing and preparing a meal and these were terms that we don't often use today but they're used to turn grain into flour we just get it out of a packet um now it does sound very pedantic doesn't it when i read this i'm like for goodness sake pharisees get over yourselves um but it was actually a law from torah and the pharisees were very good at keeping laws 
Now, interestingly, Jesus doesn't contest that they're breaking the law. Instead, he contests and uncovers the view of Sabbath that they hold. And it's one that kills the spirit of the law, which is actually what's happening here and is a far bigger offence. And drawing on Old Testament scripture, which Jesus so often does, he puts himself and his men on a level playing ground with King David. He compares the incident to when King David and his men too were hungry and they ate something that by Israelite law they shouldn't have. They ate um, uh, consecrated food. Now this of course in itself would have been provocative to the religious leaders. Who is this man putting himself on the same level as King David? And then, as Michael said, Jesus isn't very good at PR. He makes a statement which is confusing probably both to them and to us today. The Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. And then again, like in the passage last week, Jesus refers to himself as the son of man. Now Mickey explained last week how huge a claim this is when he's referring to himself as son of man. And if you didn't listen to last week's talk, I'd really encourage you to. Jesus, when he calls himself son of man, is identifying with that triumphant figure in Daniel 7, the one with all power, authority and glory given to him by the Ancient of Days, God himself. It's an absolutely massive claim and the revelation of who he is, um, it's, it really gets them uh, angry. Uh, as we know as well, he wasn't the first Messiah or the first person to make Messiah claims, but the difference as we know is that Jesus is the actual Messiah. He's the only one who can forgive sins And he's the only one who can set us free from the curse of sin. He is the only one who is truly that figure in Daniel 7. And he's actually the same one that we see again in Revelation 19. And this is part of Mark's gospel is wanting to show us, reveal to us progressively who Jesus is. And so using the highlighting the sign of man language gives us more insight as to who Jesus was. And in the next incident, we see Jesus who goes into a synagogue and he heals a man with a shriveled hand. Now, before we unpack this further, it's quite a good time to pause and say, what was the Sabbath back then? Uh, what, what did the people understand Sabbath as? And is it the same as how we understand Sabbath today? Today, I think many Christians uh, believe and treat the Sabbath as, ah, it's a loosely held day of rest. Uh, you might come to church, or you might not, depending on what else you've got on. Not many come to church with joy. Reluctance is often more common. Sure, if there's nothing to do, you might. Uh, uh, there's nothing more fun on. You might come, but if there are errands to catch up on or um, some shopping that might need to be done, it's a great opportunity to do that on a Sunday. None of us here, of course, none of us at abide, but that is how some Christians treat um, the Sabbath. Now, this is a far cry to the original context of Sabbath. For God's people, Sabbath was one of ten commandments. It was a way of life. And it was a way of the nation of Israelites. Um, It was part of their identity. It wasn't an optional extra. It was a commandment to keep. So that's the first thing. Secondly, it marked them as God's people. It reminded them that they were his nation and no other religious system had a Sabbath like it. I read something that uh, said that all all, uh, religious Sabbaths today come from or are derivatives of the original Christian Sabbath. Sorry? Oh, so just every, all religious Sabbaths are a derivative of or have come from uh, the Sabbath that God initiated. Okay, Exodus 31, 13 says, says to the Israelites, you must observe my Sabbaths. 
This will be a sign between me and you for the generations to come, so that you may know that I am the Lord who makes you holy. So it's a commandment, but it's also a sign that they were God's people, and Yahweh was their God. And the point of Sabbath isn't just another rule to keep, but it was a day dedicated to the Lord to remember what Yahweh had done for them. So it was a commandment, a sign of the people of God, and it was a day for the Lord to remember what he had done. It's a regular day to remember that this powerful, redeeming God had delivered them from Egypt. Remember back then they, when this, the commandment was given to them, they'd only been delivered from Egypt. They hadn't been delivered from sin um, through Jesus. Uh, so they'd been delivered from Egypt, from a slavery where they'd been given no rest. Life in Egypt was harsh, and as a slave, it was even more brutal. And do you think they had a day off for a weekend? No. Here, they are saved. They've been pulled out of slavery bondage um, in Egypt, and now God calls them his own sons and daughters. They are a free people, and he gives them a day off a week. He gives them a day of rest every seven days as a gift. It was a day for spiritual and physical rejuvenation. Now, we've all had weekends. We've always had a day or two off. Uh, and it might, be a, it might not be specifically a Saturday or a Sunday, but it's actually part of our culture, isn't it? To keep working all the way through is completely unheard of. But it wasn't part of these guys' history. As slaves, they worked day in, day out with no rest. So it's a huge gift from God. And this day of Sabbath rest wasn't just for the landowners. It was a rest for the slaves, for the workers, and even the animals and the working beasts. If you look in Exodus 23, 12, you'll see, Six days do your work, but on the seventh day do not work, so that your ox and your donkey may rest, so that the slave born in your household and the foreigner living among you may be refreshed. And Sabbath was broader too. It wasn't just a weekly cycle, but a yearly one too. Every seven years the land was to be given rest. Debts were to be cancelled and slaves were to be freed. Exodus 23 again. For six years you are to sow your fields and harvest the crops. But during the seventh year, let the land lie unploughed and unused. Then the poor among you may get food from it and the wild animals may eat what is left. So so Sabbath was a commandment and a marker for the people of God. A day dedicated to the Lord to remember deliverance from slavery and a gift. And fourthly, it was a day for social justice. The way the people were to remember what God had done and dedicate it to the Lord in remembrance was by providing for the poor and the disadvantaged and helping to relieve them and deliver them from their slavery, to participate in bringing God's shalom to the world around them. Now, shalom is a really beautiful Hebrew word, which means to bring wholeness or completeness. And we often hear it um, referred to as the people of God participating in the work of God, bringing shalom, his wholeness, his completeness of life, and genuine flourishing, um, bringing his kingdom here on earth as we pray in the Lord's Prayer. So Sabbath, social justice, brings shalom to those who are oppressed, in need, who are not currently in a place of shalom. If you can turn in your Bibles to Isaiah 1, uh, and keep it open at Isaiah, because I'm going to refer to it again a little bit later. In Isaiah 1, God talks about the true meaning of Sabbath. So Isaiah 1 verse 17 says, Learn to do right, seek justice, defend the oppressed, 
take up the cause of the fatherless and plead the case of the widow. See, the amazing thing is God's economy was for everyone. It was the first genuinely socially and environmentally friendly economy and way of life. Most of our global environmental and social world problems today would be so different. In fact, they probably wouldn't be there if we all lived according to God's laws. But that's another track that I'm not going to go down today. Sure, I'm going too fast. I've had too much coffee. (laughs) So, back to Sabbath in this passage. Um, God himself models what Sabbath is like, doesn't he? He, uh, in the creation account, he worked for six days. And then on the seventh, he rested. Now, that's not a sit back on your laurels and do nothing, take a holiday, have a margarita, sign out from responsibility. No, the Hebrew word for rest in that world meant to maintain control and order. So keeping chaos at bay, ruling in a way that life flourishes under the ruler's hand, bringing true shalom. So when God rested, he didn't lie down and sleep. He sat on his throne to rule. And John Wrighton writes, the order of the cosmos is sustained not by God's inactivity, but by his continued activity as he provides from being seated on the throne. And as the Israelites, uh, they were invited into Sabbath. They were invited to continue to bring order to the lives of others around them as part of their day of rest. And this is what we actually see with Jesus in this passage. As he provides for the food for the disciples as they walk, food for their hungry tummies, and especially when he heals the man with the shriveled hand, he is freeing him from the disability to work. He is modelling true Sabbath. He is pointing out where the Pharisees have got it so wrong. He was reminding them of what true Sabbath was. And as he did, he put a spotlight on uh, the Pharisees. What they had done is they had turned Sabbath and all the other laws into a legalistic regulation of how holy someone was. What's worse is they'd taken what was a gift and a grace and they'd turned it into a yardstick. See how holy I am. I am keeping the Sabbath absolutely perfect. I am holy. Uh, And then what's even worse still is they were using it as a weapon to judge others and especially here to judge Jesus. See, the Pharisees were all about keeping Torah law, sticking to the law, um, to the letter, and that's where they based their righteousness But they turned the law into a legalistic way of life and love, grace and mercy were missing. It becomes completely opposite to the way of life and the way of Sabbath that God had intended it to be when they become like this. They'd forgotten to remember what God had done. Social justice and caring for the poor and needy had all been dropped and in fact it angered them when they saw it. They were missing the whole point of the Sabbath and this is why Jesus was so angry. Here where there is someone very obviously in need, especially the man with a shriveled hand, unable to work, unable to provide for himself. Instead of being stoked that Jesus has released this guy from his physical um, disability, they're outraged that Jesus has broken the letter of the law. And it's significant, the emotion that Jesus um, is displaying here that Mark writes about. In the NIV version, he says, uh, he looked at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts. In New Living Translation, it says he was deeply saddened. RSV and other um, translations say he was grieved at the hardness of their heart. These are all very strong emotive words. 
And in the message, uh, Eugene Peterson writes, he was furious at their hard-nosed religion. It's probably my favourite one. So this, the Pharisees had actually become like the stiff-necked Israelites described in the Old Testament. Stubborn, hard-hearted, totally missing the point of God's way of life, and totally missing the point of Sabbath. What was supposed to be a day of gift and grace, of rest and worship, of remembering what God had done, and a, a regular day to bring rest to those afflicted around them, had become religious formalism when emptied of a true relationship with God. So what was supposed to be a day of gift and grace, of rest and worship, of remembrance of what God had done, and a regular day to bring rest to those afflicted around them, had become ritual formula, formal ritualism. And it had been emptied of a true relationship with God. And this is why Jesus was so upset. He's in full warrant of being angry. And he echoes God's anger towards the self-righteous in Isaiah 1. So turn back to Isaiah 1 with me. Because, see, that Pharisees in Jesus' day are not the first to be like this. They were not the first to get the Sabbath wrong and use it for their own advantage. And it's important for us to remember, too, that we, too, can get it wrong. In Isaiah 1, God says to the stubborn Israelites, Stop bringing meaningless offerings. Your incense is detestable to me. New moons, Sabbaths, and convocations, I cannot bear your worthless assemblies. Verse 14, Your new moon feasts and your appointed festivals I hate with all my being. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands in prayer, I hide my eyes from you. Even when you are offering many prayers, I am not listening. Wow, that's confronting. Your hands are full of blood. Here we are, verse 16 again. Wash and make yourselves clean. This is how you model true Sabbath. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing wrong. Learn to do right. Seek justice. Defend the oppressed. Take up the cause of the fatherless and plead the case of the widow. So the Pharisees were offering plenty of prayers. They were law-abiding. They were doing all the right things, ticking the boxes, but without love for the poor, for the oppressed, and there was no social justice. Therefore, their Sabbath was meaningless. They were just like those Israelites in Isaiah 1. So Jesus had every reason to be angry. And the Pharisees were angry too, weren't they, as well? Although their anger was completely misplaced. What they did with their anger was next level. They approached the enemy, the Romans themselves, specifically the Herodians, in desperation to get rid of Jesus and um, this upstart who threatens their self-righteous hierarchy. So let's um, what does this passage say about Jesus and what he did? We're going to answer those questions now. Well, he is the true faithful Israelite, fulfilling Sabbath as one should. And in doing so, he shows us what his new kingdom is like, one of mercy and grace. Feeding hungry disciples, healing a man with a withered hand, these are all acts of mercy and grace, and fly in the face of law-abiding Pharisees who've got it all wrong because they lack love and grace and mercy and the empty of the true relationship of God. Jesus' kingdom is one of grace and mercy. Grace and mercy triumphs empty religious observance. Looking after the man with the withered hand trumps religious observance. Feeding the hungry men is more important than empty religious observance. Setting the disabled man free from his physical afflictions, empties, is more important than empty religious observance. This passage shows us that Jesus cares deeply about social justice. 
which must not be neglected on the Sabbath. Seven of his significant healings, in fact, happen on the Sabbath. And that's for a reason. Clearly, Jesus is important, is illustrating how important it is to him and his kingdom to bring rest to those who are afflicted on this holy day. So what does this passage say to us, his people? We need to reclaim the true meaning of Sabbath. Firstly, it's a commandment for us too. As the people of God, it's not an optional extra, but it's a marker of who we are. We are a people who have decided to follow Jesus, and so this applies to us too. And on this day of Sabbath, we are to intentionally remember what Jesus has done for us. He is Lord of the Sabbath, not us. He decides, not us. He is the one worthy of praise, not us. And as we um, meet together in church, when we can meet together, (laughs) we sing, we pray, we hear teaching on Sabbath. And our primary heart posture should be one of gratitude, offering back to God uh, what he has done for us. I just missed a line, sorry. Uh, In our corporate worship together as a church, we sing, pray, hear teaching on um, the salvation that we have through Jesus, remembering the cross and how Jesus saved us from uh, from the slavery of sin and death. And taking communion is a very active way and a tangible way of remembering, isn't it? This is why we do communion. And although, of course, we do come to be fed and encouraged through meeting together, um, our primary heart posture should not be um, what can church give us, what our, what a, uh, what's the consumer attitude that we've got on, on today, but it's actually one of gratitude and offering back to God. If we have a consumer attitude, we're actually becoming like the Pharisees. We're seeking to tick that religious observance box, uh, often in the most comfortable church setting that suits us. I've got to tell you, I had such a refreshing conversation with a friend just the other day. Um, She's recently moved cities, and I asked if she'd found a place of worship yet. She said yes. She wasn't interested in church shopping, but after visiting a couple of places, she'd found one where she felt she could serve. The teaching was good. The worship was terrible. These are her words. But the kids were excited to jump in and be involved. And her and her husband could see opportunities where they could serve. Wow, (laughs) that's every pastor's dream. A posture that is truly godly and gets the Sabbath the way God intends. On this day of rest, we are to extend grace and mercy to others. Just as we have been extended grace and mercy extravagantly. From Jesus himself. So Jesus' challenge to us today is not, what can church give me? But how can I serve God's people gathered today? Who is in need? How can I love and serve the other? Who in my life, Christian or not, needs practical help, practical resources, practical liberation from some form of suffering today? Remember, loving people, extending grace and mercy is more important than religious observance. Now a little way that this was brought home to me uh, in my own life this week was when I got up early to pray and although I tiptoed with tremendous stealth through the house I swear my kids have a radar because one of them woke up and decided to join me and um, as a mum with young kids as anyone here with young kids will know there are very few times when you get to have some time to yourself and it's a Especially annoying when you've just put yourself through the trauma of getting out of bed early, um, earlier than you think is healthy, only to have that time robbed 
by a child who wants to join you. And they never sit quietly, do they? They fidget and they get books out and they read loudly and they make annoying humming noises and they pull your hair and they pick their nose and eat it and all sorts of other things that are not conducive to a prayerful, quiet space. But as I sat there that morning feeling very annoyed and grumpy towards my child, I felt the Lord gently challenge me. My desire for religious observance was getting in the way of loving this child in the way that she needed at that point in time. Right then and there she needed a cuddle with mum who would love them as a fellow image-bearer of God. And in this season, quiet times might not look quiet. And that's okay, I needed to be okay with that. I needed to extend grace and mercy and love, rather than being just intent on achieving my goal of praying and reading uninterrupted for 50 minutes or whatever it was hoping to be. And then today, on my Sabbath day, I need to be asking, who do we know who doesn't have a family who might need some company? Or who's struggling and might need a meal? Or who might need some kid-free time? Who needs a financial gift today? Who needs to be shown grace and love this Sunday? Am I rushing to get my schedule done at the cost of that person in need who might have interrupted that? What is our heart's posture? Is it towards ourselves and what we want to get done? Or is it towards the Lord and therefore someone else in need? As we close, let's just sit for a few moments in prayer and ask the Lord how we might fulfill Sabbath today. How does our attitude need to change? How do we need to respond differently? How might we seek justice, defend the oppressed, look after the modern day equivalent of the fatherless and the widows or those who do not have family to look after them? Let's just sit for a few minutes. Father God, we thank you for the gift of Sabbath. We thank you that you have given us this day as gift, as remembrance of what you have done for us. We thank you for the tremendous salvation that you have offered us, which delivers us not necessarily from our physical sufferings here and now, but delivers us from eternal, the eternal curse of sin and death. And we live in the freedom of love and relationship with you. And we are so grateful for that. Help us to remember afresh today that grace and gift that you have extended to us. And Father, as we um, reflect on how we might change our heart posture on a Sabbath or how we might liberate someone from their suffering in even just a small way, we ask that you would show us how and what that might look like in each of our lives. We ask that you would help us or you would challenge us to look out for the other, to serve the other, to bring your shalom to the world around us. We thank you that you are the giver and the sustainer of life. We thank you that you love your world and you desire for us to be in relationship with you and to participate in bringing your shalom to the world around us.
We thank you for your word to us today and we thank you that you go with us now as we carry on with our day of rest. Amen.